Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. First of all, I want to tell you about um, my favorite day of the year as a college chaplain. I had the great privilege of being chaplain at Northwest Nazarene University for 22 and a half years. Half year, I got there in February. I, I don't recommend that to anybody. 22 and a half years. And over those 22 and a half years, one particular day became my favorite day of the year. And if you're thinking because I was the chaplain, it was probably some revival or some spiritual high point, I'm sorry to disappoint you, it wasn't. Um, my favorite day of the year was the first Monday of finals week. I love the first Monday of finals week because in the student center, which now is not the student center, but it will, you know, in the student center on the first Monday of finals week, they would put three long tables together and on those three long tables, they would put everything that students had lost that semester. <laughs> it was lost and found day in the student center. By the way, I'm that kid who lost that coat every year in elementary school that enabled somebody that didn't have a coat to have one next year because they would take mine at the end of the year and they would give it to some needy child. And my mother, who was a needy mother, as a matter of fact, would somehow get me another coat, which I assume was from some kid who had lost it that was bigger than me. So uh, on, on the first Monday of finals week, I would go to the table and I would walk the table and I would invariably find something that I had lost during that. I'm talking about as the chaplain, not a student. There would be something on the table. Oh my goodness, there it is. And I would recover the things that were mine. And you know, that's kind of a celebration. But then the day I liked even more than that was Thursday of finals week when all the students were gone and there was still tons of stuff on the table. Because <laughs> I got to go back and get not the stuff that was mine, but the stuff that I wanted to be mine. My wife and I have an amazing collection of coffee travel mugs. Students lose really cool travel mugs. We have never bought one. We have so many cool travel mugs. Monday, I'd pick up the stuff that was mine. Thursday, I'd pick up the stuff that wasn't mine. And then I'd walk away from a table full of stuff that I just didn't care about. I didn't want it. I didn't need it. It didn't fit. And I had my stuff. Now, you Bible scholars know that we're leading, I'm leading you with that story into the 15th chapter of Luke, the lost and found chapter. These three parables in the 15th chapter of Luke, the lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, these three parables, usually we hear these preached on individually, on their own, on their own merit. And I'm sure I've done that too, and I apologize to the churches for whom I've done that or to whom I've done that, because they really need to be preached and read together. We know they're there, and we know what they're about, but what we don't remember is why Jesus told these three stories. The answer to that question is in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now all the tax collectors, excuse me while I can actually see this stuff, 
All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling. That's an important word. Hang on to it. The Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. (laughs) See, what about them? This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them these parables. That's the most important thing you can remember through this message. Each one of these parables is told in response to the grumbling of the religious leaders in Jesus' community. These these parables don't just stand out of context about coins and sheep and sons. These parables are told in direct direct response to this group of religious leaders who are upset by the kinds of people, the thems, that are coming around Jesus. Let's read the stories, a couple of them to begin with. So he told them this parable. Remember now, we ought to have the people back in the corner. No, I don't want to pick on anybody. I was going to say, we ought to have people back in the corner grumble while I, no, we won't do that. Um, Um, so he told them this parable speaking to the grumbling Pharisees which of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it and when he has found it he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices and when he comes home He calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He paused. They scratched their heads. And then he said, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses One of them does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, these words will sound familiar, there is greater joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is a really, really simple message in both of these parables. When someone loses something that they value, they do whatever it takes to find it. And when they find it, they celebrate. That's it. I have figured out a way to make it last a half an hour, though, but that's it. When someone loses something that they value, they do whatever it takes to find it. And when they find it, they celebrate. Now remember, these two parables and the one that we'll get to in a few minutes, these parables all come in response to the grumbling of the religious leaders over the kinds of people that are being drawn to Jesus. And they actually use the word, don't they? They were grumbling because this fellow, quote, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Let me, let me jump to the punchline, which you'll hear again at the end of the story. Almost said joke, but no, story. 
message sermon. For the disciple of Jesus Christ, for the follower of Jesus, there is no longer any them. For the disciple of Jesus Christ, there simply is no them. Well, let me share four quick observations from these two parables, and then we'll get to the third one. The first one is, is this. Evidently, even in Jesus' day, men were more likely to lose stuff than women. You noticed, didn't you, that in the text it says, if a man has a hundred sheep, when he loses one, <laughs> notice the word when. Okay, you, 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 you'll get there. And then in the second parable, he says, if a woman, when a woman has ten coins, if she loses one. I'm just saying what's in the Bible, folks. This is the reason I have five hammers. Okay, let's get to the real stuff. That's just an observation from the Greek, okay? <laughs> let's get to the real ones. And these are really simple. People don't spend time or energy looking for something that isn't theirs. The parable is not about a guy who heard about his neighbor who had a friend who lost a sheep. The parable is about a shepherd who lost one of his sheep. People don't spend energy looking for stuff that isn't theirs or that isn't dear to someone who is theirs. The widow doesn't go over to her neighbor's house and tear it apart looking for a coin that her neighbor lost. We're only inclined to look for what we believe is ours or wish was ours. I, I searched the table for my stuff and always found something. And then I searched the table for stuff I liked and always found something. Then I walked away from the table full of stuff that I didn't care all that much about. Here's another observation. If no one ever looks, nothing will ever be found. Isn't that profound? I know you'll want to write that down, but no, you won't. If no one ever looks, nothing gets found. Things don't find... Well, that's not entirely... In, in the world I live in, that's not entirely true. In the world I live in, the best way to find something is to stop looking for it and go to the store and buy another one. Then it will show up. But that's not Bible. That's just my own experience. No, if, if no one ever looks, nothing ever gets found. Searching takes effort. The, the shepherd went out and, and literally beat the bushes. The, the woman did a deep cleaning of the house to find what she's lost. The church, this church, which, by the way, I just got to tell you, I, I am falling in love with this church. I am so impressed with the spirit of this church and the level of engagement of your lay people, the youth group, the whole... Uh, anyway, that's not in the notes. But the church has always been willing to receive the lost. The doors of the church are wide open. 
folks are very welcome to come and be a part of us. The problem is we've been slower about going out and looking than we have been about staying in and welcoming. And if we're not out there looking, it shouldn't be all that surprising that we're not doing as much finding. The thing that upset the scribes and Pharisees, or that surprised the scribes and Pharisees, was not that God was a forgiving and accepting God. Forgiveness was a a solid part of the core of Jewish faith. Always had been. The thing that shocked the scribes and Pharisees was not that God would forgive sinners, but that God was out there looking for them, seeking for them, trying to find them. We learned, almost all of us, first of all, that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It seems to me, after working in the church for a long time and spending a lot of time around 18 to 23-year-old Christian young people, we get that Jesus loves me. We have to be taught that Jesus loves them as well. Fourth thing. If we don't value what we lost, we won't really keep looking. There's this phrase in, in the Pharisees' grumbling. That's a really important cultural phrase to understand. The Pharisees were grumbling because, quote, Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. You've got to hang on to that eats with them for a minute. Because that was a really socially significant statement. It was a big deal to break bread with someone. It was a big deal to sit down at table with someone and share a meal. It showed a level of embrace and acceptance of an individual that was way beyond just a hi, how you doing? The thing that drove the scribes and Pharisees crazy wasn't that these sinners were after Jesus. It was that Jesus liked them. He hung out with them. They were not projects. They were people. Here's something I get to tell you because I'm leaving. (laughs) And the next pastor that follows me will have to deal with this. One of the reasons churches grow when they're new and stop growing when they get some age is that the people in the community stop engaging and interacting with people outside of the church. All of our friends become church friends. And I love church friends. But if we don't intentionally develop relationships, meaningful relationships, not with projects, but with people outside of the community of faith, See, they were upset not because sinners like Jesus. (laughs) They were upset because Jesus liked sinners. Here's the part that'll get me in trouble with your next pastor. Some of y'all ought to skip church once in a while to go out with a non-Christian friend on Sunday. They won't come with us to church. 
They got the, they, they're just going to the river every Sunday. They're just out there doing this thing with their family every week. I try to get them to come, and they just won't come to church. Well, okay, why don't you go with them some Sunday morning and let them know how important they are to you. You're not going to lose your faith. You're not going to lose points with God. Remember, people aren't projects, they're people. And, and the Pharisees weren't upset because sinners like Jesus. They were upset because Jesus liked sinners. Oh, man. Well, I could preach on that for a while. There were genuine relationships. Jesus had genuine relationships with people that weren't like him, and we need genuine relationships with people like us. Her name was Helen Lee. Maybe one of you knew her. I, uh, she and I used to argue about who was going to speak at whose funeral. Um, I spoke two weeks short of her 100th birthday. She, she beat me there. Sometimes, sometimes I'm just absolutely in despair over the idea of being like Jesus. Does that ever get to you? You know, you're supposed to be, every big pastor's told you you're supposed to be like, I say, man, that's hard. So my goal in life is to be like Helen, who is the most like Jesus of anybody I've ever known, Right? Y'all know somebody like that. Every once in a while, I was Helen's pastor for 10 years in California. Every once in a while, Helen would say, Pastor, I'm ashamed. It's been three weeks since I've had pagan feet under my table at home. Wow. <laughs> it was never four weeks. <laughs> she would all... Helen used to travel across country. Her folks were from Nebraska. Helen had plenty of financial resources. She could have gotten there any way she wanted to, but she took the bus. You know why? Because it gave her more chance to witness. So we would always pray for the person, not for Helen. Helen was fine. We would always pray for the person that got assigned to the seat next to Helen <laughs> on the bus. And more often than once, she'd come back with a story. I want to be like Helen. Helen had so many friends, deep meaningful friendships outside the body of faith with them, with those folks. Well, let's get to the third parable. Remember, all three of these stories are told for the same reason. All three of these stories are directed at the Pharisees who are grumbling about them, about the kind of people that are coming to Jesus and the kind of people that Jesus seems to love. And so we come to the last parable. Get the progression. We're talking about sheep, coins. Now we're talking about people. It's all a setup to talk about people. It's the parable that we have, unfortunately, all grown up calling the parable of the prodigal son. We love the parable of the prodigal son, partly because we've all either known, been, or had a prodigal son or daughter. And that part of the story has a really happy ending. The kid wakes up, realizes how good he had it, goes home, confesses, is forgiven, 
and re-embraced by the Father, and we love that story. But what we've missed is that the part about the prodigal is just prelude to the real story. The real story is the story of the brother who stayed behind. You remember the brother who had been out in the field and came back in and the band is playing in the house and the party's going on and he wonders what in the world is happening and the servant says, your brother has come back and your dad's throwing a party and by the way, he killed the prize calf and and let's pick it up in the scripture. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father. There's, there are words in here that are incredibly important. I'll do this when I get to one. But he answered his father. Look, all of these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Hear the words of the father. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because... Oh, hear this. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. Did you hear the difference? Did you hear the brother say, that son of yours? <laughs> There's not a person in this building. I would bet everything my wife owns on this. There's not a person in this building who would deny that every living, breathing human is a child of God, made in God's image. Sure they are. Here's what we struggle with. We say to the Father, those children of yours, and the Father says, you mean those brothers and sisters of yours? Did you hear the way the Father turned that on the Son? This son of yours, he wasted all your money with prostitutes and all that stuff. And the father says, you know, he's my son, but more important than that, he's your brother. For the disciple of Jesus Christ, there is no them. Some of us are Nazarene, some of us are Baptist, some of us are Episcopalian, some of us are Muslim. Some of us are Hindu. Some of us are atheist. There is no them. As long as they're just God's children, we'll walk away at the end of the year and leave them on the table. <laughs> but when we recognize that they are our brothers and sisters. Well, there's a happier part of this story. I love this part. Did you notice that all three of these stories end with a party? This is, really, this is kind of important, actually. Uh, all three of these stories end with the party. Now, seeking takes effort. We talked about that earlier, right? If you don't look, nothing gets found. Seeking takes effort. Celebrating costs money. Parties cost money. 
shepherd had 99, had 100 sheep, lost one, went out, found it, invited all of his friends over to celebrate. When shepherds celebrate, sheep die. <laughs> Not that one. Not the one he found. That would, oh, oh God, that would change the whole parable, wouldn't it? <laughs> It'd be the parable of the sheep that didn't quite hide well enough. <laughs> what the story doesn't tell you, but, but it's got to be true, is that after the party, the shepherd had 96 sheep. Because they ate four of them. The lady had 10 coins. She found it. She invited her friends over. And they celebrated. And after they left, she had great friends and eight coins. You see, the deal isn't that we're supposed to keep our pen and our pockets full. Um, let me pick on the church board for a second. Somewhere along the line, and I, I don't think, it, I, honestly, I'm not being facetious here. I don't think it's true here. I'm not saying it because I think it's your problem. Somewhere along the line, we've gotten the idea that the function of the church board is to figure out how to use people to save money. Folks, the function of the church board is to figure out how to use money to save people. It's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. And, and every one of these finding stories, there was a party. Finding takes effort. Helen was a finder. Helen was out there beating the bushes looking for sheep and coins. Some of us aren't. I hate to say it, but there's not going to be anybody in heaven because they sat next to me on an airplane. I'm one of those people that just... In fact, uh, on my way out of my office one time when I was flying somewhere to do something important, I'm sure, because that's the only time you fly, right, is when you're important. I was flying to do something important, and I always grabbed a book off my shelf to read on the plane, and, and, and I didn't really worry about what it was. Most of the books I hadn't read, and so I reached up and I grabbed one, and I took it with me on the plane. And it was, it was a really good book. Uh, the title of the book was A History of Satan. And I noticed that nobody tried to talk to me. <laughs> so, and this is true, I'm, I'm half proud and half ashamed of this. The next time I flew, I took the jacket off that book and put it on the one I wanted to read. And, and nobody talked to me. Sometimes in the church, we have been made to feel guilty if we're not a seeker, a searcher, out there beating the bushes, looking for the lost. Let me tell you, there's another incredibly important job in the church. Somebody needs to be in here getting the party ready. Making sure there's a celebration when the lost are found and brought home. What do you mean? I mean Sunday school teachers. I mean custodians. I mean people that make the lawn look good. I mean folks that make this a welcoming place so that when those people are brought in, there's a party going on here. I'm not a seeker, but I will plan a party with the best of them. Everybody in this room can do one of those two jobs, can be seeking or planning a party. 
Well, in the end, and in Henry Nowen's book on this parable, he reminds us that we are all eventually to become the father to someone. We are all eventually to be that person who draws others into the family, who welcomes the different people. There's a postscript to this message. I think I've got time for Yeah, I've got time for it. I don't know if you do. I've got time. In the mid-80s, there was a movement, early, I'm sorry, mid-70s, early 80s, there was a movement in the Christian church called the Church Growth Movement. Central to the idea of the Church Growth Movement was the concept of the homogeneous unit. That's big talk for let's, get all, let's, let's fill the churches with people just like us. Because people just like us love to be with people just like us. Amen? And it worked. And it has nearly destroyed the Christian witness. Because we have filled buildings with people who just naturally get along. They look alike, live alike, vote alike, think alike. And the problem with that is that, remember Jesus, the troublemaker? Here he comes again. The problem with that is that Jesus sits in a room with his 12 disciples have you really looked at who the 12 disciples are? They're all kinds of, they were a mixed bunch of people. Let me just tell you about two of them real quick. There was Matthew, the tax collector, who was 100% wholly bought in to the Roman system. He was a supporter of the occupying forces. He was Jew, but he was a supporter of the occupying forces from Rome. He was profiting off Roma, Rome's occupation of Israel. Then there was this other guy, Simon, not Peter. We know him as Simon the Zealot. What were zealots? Zealots were a group of people who were committed to the violent overthrow of Rome. Matthew, Simon. And then a bunch of folks in the middle who were all over the map. And Jesus looked at those 12 guys and said, this is how the world will know you are my disciples. When they see that you 12 birds love each other. I was chatting, Facebook chatting with a, a friend, former student who's currently a pastor I don't know whether I ought to tell you this story or not. I mean, I really don't know if I ought to tell you this story or not. He, he was heartbroken because he had, he, he pastors in a really small church. And he had just lost a family. And the reason he lost the family was that the family found out that the pastor's wife voted for the other guy. And so they left the church. That's a true story. It's about a day old. The world will never be impressed. The world will never be impressed when 50 or 500 folks who look alike, talk alike, believe alike, 
is the ice getting thin, voter life, somehow seem to manage to get along with each other. There is nothing impressive about that. What will blow the world's mind is when First Naz, and this is local, this isn't denominational, this isn't global, this is local. What will blow the world's mind is when First Naz begins to embrace them, <laughs> the other. And folks look in at First Naz and say, how in the world? I, I, know, I know her and she thinks, and I know him and he thinks the exact opposite. And they love each other. Katie's going to come back and, and sing a closing song. Listen to the words. Um, she'll use different words, but remember, there just is no them.
Forgive us for seeing others as them. Remind us through the words of Katie's beautiful song that there are no outsiders to your love, that there is plenty of grace for us all. Give us the courage this week to be with someone who makes us a little uncomfortable. Give those of us who have the DNA to be seekers eyes to seek and to find. Give us introverts the ability to build a home that is welcoming and warm and provide a celebration for those that are found. Bless these folks as they go to do your work and your will and your power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.